We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel, and we're talking about another win today, Jack. Nets are winning. Football's on. I don't like football, but I like Nets wins. <laughs> yes, and there's been a lot of Nets wins on Sundays, which is something uh, odd, I guess I would say. You know, going to the season or regular NBA season, not a ton of Sunday games, but the Nets took care of business today. 117-100 over the Bulls, and they did just that. Take care of business. Yeah, mature performance, Nick. Um, the opening quarter with... We sort of saw it was a little bit back and forth, not the prettiest of games. That second quarter, we let the Bulls back in with some really lackluster play, which you tweeted out. Just not a lot of energy on both ends of the floor. Uh, rebounding uh, certainly wasn't really there. Um, you insert Ed Davis in the second half, and he just goes bang, uh, as he always does. But, yeah, I think the third and fourth quarters, you know, outscoring them 62 to 45, uh, that's what good teams do. And we are starting to solidify ourselves as a, a decent, uh, if not good team in today's NBA, especially if you're looking at, you know, some of the recent stats that have been coming out in terms of the records and the stretches over the last 15 or so games. But the Nets are, are proving themselves. And like you said, Jack, over the last 15, 12 and three, best stretch in Brooklyn, or at least tying the best stretch in Brooklyn. So very impressive from this team. And I think they are becoming a good team. They did that today, like you said, becoming mature, the professionalism. You know, they made the adjustments for the second half. You know, that first quarter, like you said, was good. The second the second quarter, lazy. Uh, third and fourth, they brought the energy. They did the small things, and that led to a win against an inferior team. Yeah, and I think it starts on the defensive end of the line. I know it is cliche, but when you see guys diving, Trevion Graham getting offensive rebounds, all these little deflections and such, you know, it, 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 sparks, it sparks the team overall and allows the team to sort of just get that intangible energy that just feeds the team overall. And yeah. the buckets, the ball starts to go into, into the basket a little bit more in, in terms of from the perimeter as well. That doesn't hurt. You know, we start to hit the rim a little bit more, attack the paint a little bit further. And I think, you know, the Nets made the, the necessary adjustments. And I think that, you know, they were just more engaged. You know, three out of the four quarters, I would say that last half was some of the more polished basketball we have played all season. 
But the first half, you know, certainly wasn't the best. But good teams get it done, and good, and you know, in the past, the Nets might not have might have let it slip. You know, being tied at halftime might have gotten down, might have let that mentality change a little bit. But you guys got guys like Jared Dudley, Damari Carroll in the locker room, making sure everyone's staying focused, come out and outscore them in in the last half, and absolutely put it to bits. 100%. You pretty much were spot on, Jack. And before we get any deeper, just a quick reminder, check us out, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But let's get into D'Angelo's game. This is, I think, his fourth straight game, over 20 points, tying the, the best stretch in his career. And he dropped it from three today, 6 of 14, 10 of 19 from the field, 28 points, only five assists, four rebounds, and two turnovers. So overall, just another great performance. Yeah, I think D'Angelo is becoming a very special player, Nick. I, I put it out on Twitter. I know you did as well. We love the attack that he was sort of showing. And he also mentioned that post-game, for those who haven't seen um, his interview with Michael Grady, that he's saying that's where it starts, you know, him attacking the rim. And it's nice to hear that from himself. We know that we sort of said that of him. And yes, he only did take two free throws, but he was attacking the paint with ferocity. And it was opening up every other area of the floor for him. Um, I mean, obviously, recency bias is probably playing a, a part in my mind right now. But in terms of scoring, this was one of the better performances that I saw from D'Lo. Just knowing where to take the right shots, the mid-ranger. Some mid-rangers were just like absolutely gorgeous. And I Disgusting. think, it, I mean, he, they're, they're not a pretty shot to a lot of people. But when you've got guys like him, you know, Chris Paul's made them uh, an absolute thing. And so has Dwayne Wade. You know, when they're made and, and in, in certain ways in terms of off balance and stuff, D'Lo just makes it look absolutely gorgeous. And I think part of that is that he has earned the trust of Coach Kenny. You know, in the past, we certainly couldn't have mentioned that. I've mentioned before that, you know, the leniency that Coach Kenny is giving him now because he's doing the right things. So he's giving him a little more leeway to take those sort of shots because if he can hit him from everywhere on the floor, let him do it because it's going to open up and it's just good basketball. So I think that the relationship between those two and he's repaying the face and I think it's gone both ways. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like also his energy defensively has picked up and that's kind of helped his relationship with Coach Kenny. I, I wouldn't doubt that either. I think D'Lo, you know, he's never going to be a great defender in this league, but neither is guys like James Harden and such. But if he uses the tools that he's had, like like his height, like his, you know, he's decently, he's quite sizable in terms of uh, compared to the average sort of guard. If he uses those things, you know, he, he's going to get some steals. He's going to get some blocks every now and then. You know, we've seen over this mini stretch, he's had like a, a really nice block and, 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 and some steals as well to go with it. He, he's reading the play well and he's pushing the pace and just making the right plays. You know, four rebounds and five assists. Uh, I think that all of those assists, some of them were pretty, some of them weren't, and some of them were just the right plays. I think D'Lo is just becoming a very complete, very polished player. And that's what I think a lot of us have sort of criticized him about in the past is now he's inconsistent. He's not doing the right things. He's inefficient from the floor. Um, oh, he's, a, he's alleviating a lot of those concerns if he keeps playing the way that he is. Yeah, and I want to say he got off to a somewhat of a cold start in this game. I know he missed his first couple threes, missed the shots early, but he was able to kind of build off of that and have a good game where in the past we've seen him have a bad start and that kind of carry over for the whole game. I know only five assists, but I thought he was good passing the ball. A lot of, I think, the lesser assists in this game is because the Bulls were trapping so much, so I'm sure he probably had a couple secondary assists. Yeah, I'm really enjoying the fact when Dilo is playing with another guard on the floor, you know, or a sort of point guard for, for lack of a better term. You know, guys like Shabazz and Spencer, 
those guys are incredibly unselfish. They'll happily give the ball up to each other, and it doesn't necessarily matter as long as it leads to a good shot. There were some really pretty offensive schemes, offensive plays that were just where the ball was whipping around and it finished with a dunk or an alley-oop or a bounce pass. And I think the Nets are becoming one of the more, certainly in the upper echelon of offensive teams. Everyone says that they are one of the more pretty teams to watch. And I think that they're at least probably, I mean, I'd love to look right now, but over the stretch, I remember putting out, I think that they're top three, top four in offensive rating. Uh, but they've been playing some wonderful offensive basketball and backing it up with some decent defense at the same time. Yeah, and they've been getting the situational defense. You know, when they need a stop, they've been getting it, and that's been a difference, and that's a reason they've been winning over this last 15 games. Yeah, and I think Trevion Graham has added a little bit over the past two games as well. I think the hustle and and, and Ed Davis as well, these sort of guys, you know, Damari's been really good. Rodion's Kurutz makes plays every now and then, getting a steal or a deflection. Uh, I think that defensive energy is as much as uh, is as important as getting the defensive stops because it sort of feeds you and sort of you know it, and, and gets across the entire team and inspires you to want to back up your teammates because this is a real team effort uh, over this entire stretch, over this entire sort of winning streak over the past month or so. So, you know, the depth that we sort of talk about, the teammate, the cohesion, the chemistry, all those things. So when one person does it, another person wants to do it. They want to repay the faith. And there aren't many teams in the league that are doing that. There's probably a couple. We've talked about it on the NBA outlet. But the Brooklyn Nets are certainly one of them. Yeah, and you brought up deflections, and I love deflections. They don't always necessarily leave the steals, but they disrupt the other team's offense, and I think that's so important in the NBA nowadays, especially because the game is so rhythm-based. It really is rhythm-based. And in terms of getting, you know, once you get those deflections, it can lead to some transition buckets or, you know, it can get the guys up off the bench. And I think that that's one thing you can look to. The Nets just love, you know, celebrating anything that happens, be it a Jared Allen block or dunk. Or a Jared Dudley nifty little floater towards the <laughs> get, which was quite fun as well. Um, or the Jared Dudley dance moves on the bench, getting the warmed Jer- up. <laughs> get, getting warmed up and telling Joe Harris how to warm up his, his ankle a little bit. Thank God he's going to be okay, or else I wouldn't know what to do with myself. Um, but he looks all right, which is, which is a positive sign. Looking at the box score right now, Nick, we had a lot of players with four-plus assists. Jared Dudley, Joe Harris, D'Angelo Russell, Damari Carroll, Spencer Dimwitty all had four-plus assists. You know, no one had more than five with Spencer and D'Angelo, but the way the ball was being shared tonight, especially in that last half, was a thing of beauty. Yeah, it really was, and I think, you know, some of that is the Bulls' pressure defense with a lot of trapping, a lot of double teams, and the Nets reacted to that well by passing the ball, moving around, getting some of those inside shots like you talked about. I would say Jared Allen probably had, what, five dunks this game, probably two for Ed Davis, so just a lot of uh, great passing, a lot of better shots, and we saw that more in the second half, where in the first half they were getting good shots, but not the best shot. Yeah, and I think that they were settling a little bit. There was probably a couple of times where they would just take some bad twos or just settle for the three. But yeah, we started to sort of push the pace and attack a little bit more, put the bulls on the back foot. But some of Jared Allen's dunks tonight and and over the past sort of stretch have been absolutely insane. Like, you know, he's becoming a House of Highlights staple. Yeah, he really is. I thought actually, you know, the dunks are super impressive, but I loved his one block on uh, Hutchinson in the second half where he closed out on a three-point shooter and he ended up coming back into the play and getting the block. I mean, you could hear it on the television like the yes. block <laughs> on the basketball. I mean, a lot of times, you know, if you can do that, you can go, oh, well, why doesn't he just grab it? But, I mean, it's... It's, it's hard a... to grab it. It is very hard to grab a block. It, it, it is at the same time. But um, Jared Allen is doing some insane things on both sides of the floor and you know, I think he's inspiring me. I think I'm going to have to do a play thread of a couple of players tonight because it was a 
Uh, it, it's hard to to like pick on who to do player threads for for this Brooklyn team because everyone chips in. Like Damari Carroll over the past couple of games has been insane. He's a career high fourth straight eighteen plus point game for Damari Carroll. You know he was an, a, a player of the month in Atlanta uh, when he was on that team. So for him to be absolutely sizzling of late is just the, remarkable. Yeah, and it's not just a three-point shot, which is something we're used to with Damari. He's been getting inside a little bit more and getting some more of those, like, teardrop slash layup type shots in there. Really impressive, like I was saying to you in the DMs. Like, I don't know what he got for Christmas, but he's been great pretty much since then. Yeah, the swag daddy is making his presence felt down low on the outside, on the inside. He's just doing his thing. Yeah, it gives just the Nets another player, another avenue to really attack teams. And having a guy like that come off the bench, especially when he's a probably a plus defender, he's not as amazing as he was when he was younger, but he just goes out there and he brings some more toughness for the team. Talking about another guy, toughness, Ed Davis. You know, Jared Allen was amazing, and Ed Davis was amazing today too. So it's just such a luxury having two good centers on the roster. Where do these two rank in terms of center joys, Nick? I mean, I looked at probably a team like the Toronto Raptors off the top of my head with Jonas Valanciunas, Serge Ibaka. Um, they're two very, very good centers. It's hard to sort of think of many other good two-man center duos. I mean, Nene is good-ish for the Houston Rockets and Clint Capella is great. I mean, if you want to consider Favors as a center, I'm not really sure. But these two guys are like elite centers in different ways. Like, you know, Ed Davis is an elite offensive rebound and Jared Arnold is an elite dunker and blocker. It's hard to sort of think of two guys who are elite in different areas that are combining as front court members. Yeah, it's actually really true, Jack. I'm off the top of my head. I can't really think of many that are better, but you know, you don't necessarily think of a ton of backup centers, and a lot of teams don't even necessarily play a true backup center. I mean, if you want to go to a team like the, the Indiana Pacers, but a lot of the time they play Sabonis and, and Miles Turner together. So, I mean, I, I really can't think of anyone. I would probably be the best one because I guess, like, you could argue they play Thad Young and Sabonis together a little bit too. That that's that's correct. I mean, Nerlens Noel and Stephen Adams are probably my. True my other one but uh, i mean with sort of those sort of teams that we've talked about are all really successful teams and you know sort of talked about you know the league is really trending towards small ball all this sort of thing but the nba is always going to have a place for really really defensively capable really uh, rebounding league capable changing inventing words here um but <laughs> if if you can rebound well at your position you're going to have a spot in this league and ed davis is the best in the league at it if not one one of the best at least so last um, time I checked, he was number one in rebound percentage. He was like top three in offensive rebound and defensive rebound percentage. And he's likely going to stay like that for the rest of the season, uh, barring an injury, knocking on wood or whatever. But um, th they've been absolutely outstanding. And you know, in 24 minutes, Jared um, Jared Allen's stat line was insane: 19.6 rebounds, two blocks, seven of nine, uh, seven of nine free throws as well, six of eight from the field. That was in 24 minutes. This guy's like 20 years old. And nine free throw attempts, too. And just, like, he changed a ton of shots, too. Like, as soon as he got some of those big blocks, every time uh, Chicago was coming in the paint, they were looking for Jared Allen, where he was at. And, you know, a couple times Chris Dunn was able to get the teardrop over his crazy wingspan. But it definitely had an impact even when he didn't block the shot. He's getting a reputation. And mm -hmm. for a young young man of, of, like, 20 years old, not even 25, you know, uh, I think him and sort of – He's going to grow in a in similar sort of stature to a Miles Turner, who we talked about on the outlet with Corey as well. And I think he's going to have a long career, and he's going to have a long career with the Brooklyn Nets. And uh, he's, he's going to be a nice little tandem with a guy like D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie going forward, and for Karras as well when he gets back.
Yeah, and it was nice to get Jared. You know, Jared's been a little bit better the last few games. Not to say he's been bad in that stretch in December or anything, but you didn't quite feel him as much. This game, you really felt him. You know, D'Angelo picked up in the second half, but I think you'd say for the first half, Jared Allen was probably the best net in that first half. Yeah, I mean, without him, uh, I mean, it's hard to sort of think. The one play where Jared Dudley attacks and sort of, like, throws a bullet pass. And the fact, Mm. I was surprised that Jared Allen caught that. I'm just like, his hands must be on fire after catching that. It was one of... It was one of the plays of the night, and for me, and the fact that he finished it as well with Frosty, um, Jared Allen's hands have improved out of sight. I mean, it's not to say that he's never been good with his hands. He's always been great, but he's almost elite in the way that he's catching and finishing and, and sort of doing his kick-out plays as well. Um, I'm just loving everything that he's doing. Yeah, it's almost like he took the momentum of the pass and put it into the dunk. Yeah, and, and that's a really, really <laughs> tough thing to do. I don't think yeah. many guys, you know, let alone uh, vets in this league, let alone a guy who's in his second year can sort of do that. Another solid game from Shabazz. Offensively, defensively got abused a little bit. You know, they took advantage of his size, but 18 points, 6 of 14, 3 of 9 from 3, 4 free throw attempts. It just kind of brings that energy to the offense. Yeah, I mean, Shabazz has these moments where it's just like, what are you doing? But he makes up for it and then some with the plays that he does in terms of positive sort of areas, whether it's, you know, the three ball he's hitting or he's making the right plays, making the right pass. You got a couple, uh, one nice little nifty steal down low when I think he was switched on to Wendell Carter. And it's just like, oh, this is a bucket here. But then he uses his lack of size to his sort of, um, to, to, to a positive. So he was able to just strip it. So, yeah, I mean, there's going to be times where Shabazz is going to be somewhat, you know, negative. But I think for the most part of this season or whenever he is out there, He's become a net positive. And I think when Spencer Dinwiddie sort of, you've mentioned that you thought he might have had somewhat of an injury. Um, when that is the case and you've got a guy like Shabazz Napier in reserve, um, most teams would be uh, laughing at having that sort of, uh, just those sort of players at their disposal. Yeah, he's pretty much, you think about it, the fourth you know guard on the team or the fourth lead guard on the team considering Karras is already out. So having him as a guy to bring in is such, such a luxury. And you mentioned Spencer. I saw his hand and slash wrist wrap. And he hasn't quite seemed as aggressive the last few games. And I think that might be something, you know, they're keeping quiet. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And, and it's sort of hard to – we know the Nets love to th- keep things quiet. So as the the things – going forward, you know, I'm, I'm sure that we might see some updates from from our guys, Brian Fonseca and Anthony Puccio and stuff. But uh, it's not going to necessarily be a bad thing if he gets arrested against the Boston Celtics because uh, Kyrie Irving's going to be back. And I sort of said scheduled loss, but – Anything can happen with this Nets team because... And Boston hasn't been great lately. They're not the Boston team that, you know, we went, you know, expected going into the season. They're still having their struggles chemistry-wise. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I I think there's anything can happen. I think that we're we're in with a chance because we've been playing some really good basketball, one of the form teams in the NBA. But yeah, Shabazz has been great. And I'm sure plenty of other teams would absolutely love to have him on their roster. Any other players you wanted to touch on? You know, not a huge game from Joe Harris, but he did some of the small things you mentioned. Probably a sprained ankle. I wouldn't be surprised if he sat out tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, it's he had a couple of assists here and there. It wasn't his best game by any stretch, but I think teams are starting to give him a bit more attention as well. You know, he didn't For one of the first times in, it feels like years, that he didn't hit a three. But at the same time, you know, a lot of his teammates made up for it. I thought Rodion's had some, like, mistakes at times. But his rebounding, I'm really, I'm really enjoying his rebounding, and some of his defensive plays make up for it. Um, it's just sometimes he's just making rookie mistakes, which you can forgive. Like that slap for the technical. I mean, like they don't necessarily always call that, but it's just small things like that, giving up a point that you don't want to really do. But like yeah. you said, you're feeling his length on the boards and defensively. 
and and the three pointer was uh, was on uh, a lot more tonight. I think he's starting to realize who he can sort of take it and sort of how much sort of length he has in terms of you know coming up against guys like Jaron Jackson, Marcus Hall. We mentioned in the last game, but he was sort of recognizing, oh well, I can easily get this over a guy like Chris Dunn. So yeah, I think he's starting to become a smarter uh, NBA player as well, which I think is uh, certainly something that can be said. And we talked about it last show is he's still adjusting to the NBA and kind of getting a feel for all the players. His three point shot looks very effortless though. Yeah, it, it really does. Like it's, it's just really smooth. And a lot of the time, I, I think he like just swishes like half of them, if not all of them. He's, uh, he's yeah, a very... most of them it feels like his makes feel like swishes. Yeah, he's a really slick, slick player. Um, and he's he's going to be something something good for us going forward. A lot of fans are sort of asking for, you know, where's that stretch for to sort of you know get it to, let us take that next step up. I'm happy with where we are because I don't necessarily want to trade anything and, and mess with the cohesion because I think Rodion's can quite easily be that person going forward because um, he's got length about him, he's got size about him, 6'9". It's the perfect sort of size to be a sort of switchy four and you can sort of handle the ball a little bit as well in transition. He's got a, a great skill set, but if you know if we can make a move, we can make a move. But uh, based on what Rodion's has shown us, uh, he's going to be uh, a long-term net. And I expect him to get better going forward the rest of the season, just gaining more experience every single game. And I really liked what we've seen from him. And the minutes I felt like have been good. They haven't been a ton. And, some, you know, when he's not playing great, he's not getting 30. But when he's playing uh, good, he's getting that higher amount and finishing out the game. So Kenny's done, I think, a really good job with him. Just getting back to D'Angelo, I just feel like he deserves a little bit more love for this game. And you talked about it a little bit. Just the takes to the rim and just the overall feel for this game was very, very good. And he yeah. was closer, too. Yeah, and, and like 33 minutes again, leading the team in that. So a lot of fans will certainly be happy with that. I think, quiet now, huh? I mean, they <laughs> certainly are. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's sort of showing that D'Lo is doing the right things. Kenny is rewarding him. You know, the, the cohesion between those two. And D'Angelo is just playing good basketball. He's just making the right decisions on the offensive end. He's making the right so shot selections. You know, he's got a, a mid-ranger or two here or there, but... He was super-duper effective tonight. You know, 10 of 19 from the field. He's just reading the game a lot better. And I, I think that's coming from having the vets around him. I think Jared Dudley, uh, I think, has been a, a really nice influence on him. And, you know, D'Angelo mentioned after the game as well, you know, we want to get to the to the film room. We want to watch it together. We want to give each other that constructive feedback. You know, we're, we're happy to take that. You know, these guys might be 20, 22 years old, but they're men. And they're getting advice from guys who have been in the league. 10, 15 years like Dudley and Carroll. And I think you can't underrate that sort of presence in the NBA. You know, I think a lot of teams could use these sort of guys because they're adding value, not just on the court in terms of Jared Dudley's playing fine basketball and DeMario Carroll's playing very good basketball, but they're impacting the growth and development of a lot of really talented uh, budding stars. A hundred percent. And I think two things stuck out in the Yes broadcast. Uh, the beginning of the game, you know, they did a little interview with D'Lo and he talked about the vets and how they're willing to tell you when you do something wrong, they'll call you out on it. And he, he likes that accountability. And also Ryan Rucco is bringing up how the Nets coaches said that D'Lo in terms of one to 10 is a 10 in terms of coachability. So all the things, you know, there was a lot of talk about D'Angelo being immature. Everything is pointing the opposite direction in Brooklyn. He's really matured as a player and as a man. I mean, it, and a lot of credit uh, has to go to Kenny Atkinson with that. He is the king of player development. You know, he's made the adjustments as well. He's not just a player development coach anymore, especially with what he's shown this season. But, you know, I, I think there was a recent rumor that you tagged me in as well, Nick, and you sent to me that, you know, the contract status going forward, it seems very likely that D'Angelo is going to be a net. And, and at least, I think there was like one uh, adjective to describe it, which was as please. vague as... <laughs> Please, like it's the most vague possible adjective you can use to describe a situation, but 
Um, you're not going to get anything more from a guy like Sean Marks and the assistant GMs. They they keep things pretty tight knit, and I think that, uh, like we mentioned before, it's beneficial for all people involved, all parties involved. But you know, D'Angelo mentioned that tweet earlier in, uh, to start to start the new year, 2019, 2020, 20, 2021. Say that a hundred times, Jesus. <laughs> um, but he's and we sort of you know construed that as like you know him get paid, but um, he's backing up his words if that's what he did mean. Yeah, he's control what you can control, and that's kind of been his motto going to the season. He's talked about it even when I think his first press conference coming into Brooklyn. So I'm not really that concerned with the tweet. I think he's just looking to, you know, hopefully get the payday and play to his best ability. In 2019, D'Lo has been very good, and we're hoping he can continue to do that and really help the Nets. And the Nets are 20-21 and 21 right now. They have a half-a-game lead on Charlotte, a full-game lead on Detroit, and a two-game lead on Orlando. So they're sitting in that seventh seed pretty nicely right now. Yeah, and my boy Nick Busick on JBT last night was mentioning is like he sees us as the most likely of those sort of teams around that mark to make it. And I was, you know, a, a little more pessimistic because I like to keep things low key. Um, that's just the way I am. I'm sort of the opposite of, of Mr. Faye when it comes to that sort of stretch. <laughs> but the way we've been playing, um, we are the form team out of those guys. So, like, you have to sort of give the kudos uh, where it is deserved, give the credit where it is deserved. So, if things keep happening the way they are, things keep things keep panning out the way they are, then the Nets are going to be probably a playoff team. You know, I, th- I expect it's still only halfway through the season. It's a very, very long way to go. You know, I, you know, 10, 15 games ago, we were sort of talking, 20 games ago, we were talking about, oh, we got no chance. You know, that eight-game losing streak. So the NBA can change in uh, in an instant. So that's why keeping things level-headed as I'm, I'm sort of reflecting sort of like Coach Kenny Atkinson and, and Sean Marks here, you know, one game at a time, that sort of thing. But uh, it feels good to, to be playing winning basketball and getting some credit and have our guys sort of just developing and enjoying themselves. Yeah, and, you, you know, like, you know, agreeing with Nick, the only team that's really playing at the same level in that kind of six to eight race is Miami. You know, Charlotte's been struggling. They have injuries. Talked about Detroit's really been struggling. Orlando's just falling off a cliff. So the Nets just got to keep the momentum. I think the game against Boston tomorrow, you know, is going to be a nice test. I don't think they necessarily have to win it, but they have to really play a competitive game and at least give themselves a chance at the end. And they've done that yeah. a lot. I mean, it's been a while since the Nets have had like sort of a blowout. The only one from recent memory that comes to my mind is is against the Pacers earlier in the season against Corey's boys. And um, I mean, either way, I think it's you take everything as like a one game sample size, and that's what, like what we generally do in the buzz. We recap pretty much every game, if not all of them. So after this game, you know, you go on to the next one, to the, to the Boston Celtics, you're going to have to play a lot better. I mean, we beat the Bulls by 17 points, but, you know, if we play the way we did tonight against the Boston Celtics, oh, I don't think we're going to get close. You can't have those mini aberrations for like five, 10 minutes because the team with Boston's talent, despite the fact that they haven't been at their best, they are still a very, they're a much better team than we are in terms of maybe not form-wise, but talent-wise in terms of projections. So we're going to have to play better basketball if we want to get the win. Uh, against a, a highly favored team. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, the fir- the second half, if they came and played the same second half, they'll have a chance. But the first half they played, you know, isn't necessarily going to cut it. Even though the first quarter wasn't bad, the Bulls were also really bad in that first quarter, just turning over the ball. So they're going to have to bring their A game. They're going to have to do a lot of work in that one to make give themselves a chance to win it. But Jack, I'm going to pass it to you. I know you got a couple topics for us. I do, sir. Our boy GNYR on Twitter literally just posted out, I think Atkinson deserves some Coach of the Year votes. Um, I'm not sure how many listeners listeners have turned off after hearing that. Um, (laughs) But where does he rank right now in terms of, uh, I know it's probably a question that's been a bit unprompted for you, my friend, but um, Coach Kenny has been doing some, uh, he's certainly not winning it. I think it's pretty much everyone's pick is Mike Budenhoser. 
But um, he's one of a, a cluster of other coaches who's been doing um, exceeded expectations for his team. Yeah, he'll be one of the coaches that gets a couple votes at the end of the year. You know, he's not going to win it. He's not going to be top three because, you know, the best teams usually get the award. You know, it's usually a top three seed or a team that's really turned it around. Not to say that if the Nets make the playoffs, they didn't turn it around, but they're not going to have a big enough, like, jump in the standings or anything for someone to be like, all right, Coach Kenny's going to win it. So maybe at best probably, like, top five, and he'll just be a guy that steals some votes at the end of the season. You know what? I think he's been the third best coach in the Eastern Conference fourth best coach in the Eastern Conference. And it's literally the top three teams. And then I would say Coach Kenny. So you've got Mike Woodenhoser, you've got uh, Nick Nurse, you've got Nate McMillan. And then fourth is Brett Brown, who I don't think has done as good a job as Coach Kenny. And Brad nope. Stevens, I don't think has either. I, I think Eric Spolstra always does, but I think he solidified himself. So I think in terms of narrative and that sort of thing, and improving as a coach, if we want to say there's like a sort of improved sort of award at the same time. So I think he's certainly at least top five. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, that's why I said top five. I think he's a guy that's going to steal some votes at the end of the year. So I really like Coach Kenny and what he's done this year with the team. I think there were some experimenting early on and trying to get a feel for the roster, having so many new pieces. And now he's starting to get that feel right now. Yeah, and, and I think a, a lot of the, the criticisms we had of him early, he has you know uh, put them to bed in terms of making the uh, correct adjustments the minutes allocations who does the defensive schemes you know and taking the right shots all these different things and i think it's it this sort of cohesion as an organization as a whole it's sort of reflected from leadership down it starts from Sean Marks and coach Kenny and you know the, the players want to play for him and he sort of mentioned as well that he's got coaches out on the floor in the pregame he was sort of saying you know Ed Davis is saying to to D'Angelo just like take care of the ball man so when you can empower your players, I think that's what makes a better coach to me. I know Nick's uh, a, a big buy-in of that being a, a, a rec league uh, young coach himself. You, know, you want to empower the players to sort of do their thing. You want to put all the sort of schemes in place in the preseason and in practices and in the film room, but you want the guys to coach themselves. That's what a, a person like Steve Kerr has done. Like He literally did it. Like, <laughs> literally, yeah. It's not going to happen for the Brooklyn Nets, but when you've got Jared Dudley, Damari Carroll, Ed Davis, all these sort of players that can sort of go, look, D'Angelo, you've got to calm it down a little bit. Spencer, that's the wrong shot to take. It, it, it's having player coaches is as important as having a good head coach itself. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, Coach Kenny brought this up over the last game in Memphis. Having those veterans not only with a toughness factor, but they're on the sideline when the coaches are having their little meetings during timeouts, telling the guys those little small plays where they can clean up on the floor. And it's really helped the development of a lot of these young players. Yeah, I mean, the development of all of them has been, you know, impacted by not just the coaching staff, but the players. And, uh, and they're in ways that we can't even imagine because we're not in the inner sanctum of the team. You know, a, a friend impacts you in general by just, you know, ha helping you feel happier. You know, when I get to do the buzz, I just feel happier. And I think these guys are just friends as well. They're not like, you, there's no friction. There's, there's no wizard sort of situation or Memphis sort of situation. There might be some heated arguments or whatever, but that's kept in-house because it's a good team. They don't want those sort of things to come out. So, uh, and, and I think that that speaks volumes to the organization as a whole. And I, I think it's only going to grow and it's going to impact things, you know, further down the road when it comes to attracting free agents and becoming, you know, a real elite team, which is always the goal. Because right now we're, we're on the fringes of the playoff race, but that's not the ultimate goal. You want to get that sort of, and with Golden State, you know, uh, heading downwards, uh, I think the championship race is going to be very open over the next coming years. Yeah, it's going to definitely, the Nets have done a great job putting themselves in position to become an elite team. They're taking their proper steps, and this year has been a huge stride. And I'd probably say they're a little bit ahead of schedule compared to when Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson took over. 
I think they're way ahead of schedule, Nick. It's it's hard to sort of comprehend the fact that, you know, this team has sort of turned around so quickly and in terms of the moves that have been made. I, I think that, you know, there's been some some misses here and there, but they're doing the right things in terms of establishing everything going forward, bringing in the right people, be it players, be it staff, be it training staff, whoever it might be. But um, the Nets going forward are, are in a very good spot. And I think that it's going to be good for basketball because the Brooklyn Nets are, are a large market in general in terms of you view New York is a huge place. And I think when the Knicks get better as well, it's going to be great for basketball to have two of the better teams. I think the Clippers and the Lakers as well are going to be budding as well. So it's going to be great for basketball going forward if the Brooklyn Nets continue their successes. Exactly. It's going to be good for the NBA, money-wise, popularity-wise, and all that. But, Jack, you got some more news regarding popularity a little bit too. Yeah, um, the Nets and the Lakers are going to be playing two preseason games in China this October. So uh, that might be the Joseph Sy effect there, Nick. What do you think? 100%. Yeah, I think he's uh, on the board for the NBA China. So obviously he definitely had an impact bringing that over. You know, I do get a little worried about the travel, especially in October, close to the season starting. But it is cool for the Nets to kind of get some more exposure, especially for somebody like a D'Angelo Russell or some of the up-and-coming stars. Yeah, you know what? It's always tricky because... Like the Dallas Mavericks started off really badly. The Golden State Warriors started off, and they sort of talked about, you know, the, the the jet lag, so to speak, and how it sort of affected them. But in terms of being able to market yourselves and, and sort of bring a larger fan base, this is going to be a great thing. And we might have to cover them or try and get some media passes to get to China, mate, because uh, who, knows <laughs> where the buzz, you, <laughs> who knows where the buzz will be in China. I haven't been myself. I've been to plenty of places around this world. But we might have to cover them. We might have to, you know, put it out on, one of the Chinese sort of social media apps and see if we can get some more fans in that a very heavily saturated market. Yeah, it should be really good for the Nets as an organization to get over there and get some more exposure, some more international, you know, spotlight on this team. And like we said, these guys are improving and who knows, they might have a star to bring over to China with them next year. Yeah, Carol Silvert, hopefully he's he's healthy then. D'Anto Russell, Jared Allen. Um, or maybe another star might sign this offseason. Uh, but we'll, have we'll to, leave that for another day. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, that's that that in the playoffs is going to be uh, – it's fun to speculate. And there's a, a lot of great positive storylines surrounding this Nets team. A hundred percent. But, Jack, any final thoughts we get out of here? I mean, I hope we put up a good show against Boston, Nick. But um, I just want to solidify that spot. Uh, it's going to be tricky. It's going to be – uh, an absolute cluster F word going forward <laughs> uh, for, to fight for the playoff race because I do still like Detroit because they've got a good coach and they have a very good player in Blake Griffin. Uh, the, the, the but they have a bad team. Like their overall team, I don't think is as good as the Nets. Yeah, they have Blake Griffin, but I don't think their overall depth is anywhere close to what Brooklyn has. No, and that's the same with Charlotte as well. But uh, And we sort of talked about it at length on, on the outlet. I think in terms of stars, it's a star-driven league. If you have those stars healthy, playing good basketball, then they can drag along, you know, crappy rosters. LeBron has done it for years. Maybe guys of the, the caliber of Blake Griffin and Kemba Walker can't. But um, in a sort of weakened Eastern Conference, the Nets also have, I believe, GNYR. Again, our boy put out the fact that the Nets have the fifth touch, fifth hardest um, home stretch for the rest of the season. And including, I remember when we did our season preview, to end the season, we were bursting like the Bucks a heaps of times in Boston and stuff. So we need to keep doing the right things one game at a time and uh, it'll take care of itself. One thing with the Milwaukee getting them twice in the last two weeks of the season, it could actually be a benefit because at that point, depending on the race for the first seed, they could be resting. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a part of me that's just like really, really going for Milwaukee so they can just like absolutely sew it up and then just rest Giannis for the rest of the season yeah. or for the last few games. And then I hope we don't get the eighth seed because I would 
Rather versus Toronto, but I'm getting ahead of myself, Nick. I don't want to do this. I'm not getting too. <laughs> I've seen it a little bit. I've seen a little out there. Like, who would you rather have in the first round matchup? I definitely wouldn't want Milwaukee because Antetokounmpo is looking to have his breakout party. Oh man, yeah. Where you know you get Toronto. I'm not saying the Nets would win the series, but I think they would match up a little bit better with them. And there's still some question about you know is this the, the Toronto team? Can they play well in the playoffs? I know they have Kawhi, but it's still an organization type thing. Obviously, the Pacers have had the Nets number, but they're not as quite as good as Milwaukee. Sixers are kind of all over the place. So, but like you said, Jack, this is for a couple months from now. Uh, how far we've come, Nick? How far we've come? Yeah, who thought we'd be talking playoff matchups in January six? Oh, <laughs> so, uh, shout out to the Nets playing really well right now. And obviously, we'll be back in the buzz tomorrow after the Celtics game. Check us out: iTunes, Box Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Also, check out Jack the J Man at JBT is going to be dropping a thread for a couple players today. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.